Last month, I did something really exciting. I booked a trip with a couple friends at the end of November to go to Concord, Massachusetts and see the home of Louisa May Alcott. I love Little Women. I'm so excited. (laughs) I love the book. I love the movies. It's a very important story to me. I think it's more than a coming-of-age young adult novel. I think it's a theological work that wrestles with the internal labor of admitting your flaws and working toward becoming a better version of yourself and still believing the whole time that you are accountable to and worthy of love from your community. When the 2019 movie came out, because I love it so much, I had several people who wanted to see it with me, my sisters and mom in Oregon, a couple different friend groups that I have here in Chicago, which is very kind. And I said yes to all of them because I planned to see it numerous times, but I wanted to see it first on my own (laughs) because it was too important. If someone talked to me during the movie, I would have no chill. (laughs) Our friendship would be over. (laughs) Um, What a friend and I call, I'd get a case of the murders. (laughs) So all by myself, I went the day that it opened to a 10 a.m. showing, and I loved it. And I was surprised that a lot of the people around me seemed to be seeing or hearing this story for the very first time, gauging by their reaction to the film. I guess not everyone watches the 94 version over and over again throughout the year, which, weird, but okay, make your choices. (laughs) Each of the sisters over the arc of the book works on overcoming a character flaw that they name in the very first chapter. Joe's flaw is her temper. She loves to fight. She wishes that she could enlist in the war. And Joe's greatest love is writing. And she'll often be up all night writing stories in the attic. And these two pieces of information are very important to know when in a childish moment of revenge, her youngest sister takes her handwritten manuscript and burns it in the fire. And I knew it was coming. But the entire theater around me gasped in shock. All her work ruined, lost forever, unforgivable. Although her sister is remorseful and apologizes, Joe refuses to forgive her. She refuses to even speak to her until a fall through the ice at, on Walden Pond threatens to take that sister away from her and the spell of Joe's anger is shattered. Joe hadn't warned her sister about the ice because they weren't speaking. And it's the first time that we see Joe really desperate to be free of the temper that could have cost her a sister forever. On the night the manuscript is burned, her mother gives Joe the advice from Ephesians 4:26 to not let the sun go down upon her anger. And personally, I don't think that's always a reasonable conflict resolution strategy. I think that maybe she could have taken a night on that one. In fact, I think sleep can often dramatically improve the quality of discourse. I know it does for me. But it's often in my prayers before falling asleep that I can begin to be more honest about how my anger is actually sitting on top of my grief 
or my fear and I can begin to start to unravel and pull apart the anger that I hold. But Bible verses encouraging us to turn the other cheek or to cease anger by sundown can seem like instructions that push things under the rug altogether. And when they're quoted, they are as impossible as they can be unhelpful. I'm skeptical that anyone has ever been cured of an uncomfortable feeling by simply being told, stop feeling it. At least not in a healthy way. Yet so often that's the only advice or solution for Christian conflict that we're given, just stop. And let's please not confuse feeling and emotion with discharging our emotions onto others and making feeling our emotions someone else's job. Jo gets to be upset and angry, but she doesn't get to hurt her sister. She doesn't get to blow up and yell at others and label it letting off steam or venting. She doesn't get to become violent. In fact, that's what her younger sister did when she burned the book. She was angry and tried to make Joe feel the feeling that she didn't want to feel. But emotions exist, and we all need strategies for effectively holding them and traveling them and interpreting them. And we also need clear boundaries when someone tries to offload theirs onto us. Because the reality is, conflict is inevitable. So what's a Christian response, a reasonable Christian response to disagreement and conflict? Does striving to live in harmony mean that our goal is to eradicate all conflict? What is the cost of conflict? What is the cost of total unity? Who picks up the tab on those costs? Without conflict, we would have no civil rights movement disagreement happens and it can make us better. But we're all socialized to have a different reaction to conflict. And those reactions have served a purpose in your life. If you grew up with a parent who felt unpredictable or violent, conflict became a warning to you about your physical safety. Or if you have had relationships where disagreement meant that you were no longer worthy of connection, then conflict is a warning about your emotional safety. Or Christian communities can be guilty of equating conflict with sin, making it a warning of spiritual harm. But in any close relationship, conflict and disagreement is truly inevitable. So a question I find more helpful than if conflict should exist is, is it healthy conflict or unhealthy conflict? I once heard that a healthy family balances their ability to hold conflict with their ability to hold deep connection and intimacy. So if we imagine intimacy and conflict as two different slider bars, they need to be sliding together in order for it to be healthy. If you have a family with no intimacy, but a lot of conflict, that's not healthy. And if you have a family with a lot of intimacy, but no ability to engage conflict, 
also not healthy. You get a lot of people hiding their true selves or discharging their emotions onto others. I think we see both sides of the spectrum of health in the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Uh, Tula's Greek family, where everyone's in each other's business, they can engage in conflict openly. They're, you know, hey, what are you thinking? It happens real quick in the middle of a conversation and it, it moves on. They hold it so easily. And then on the other side, Tula's fiance comes from a quiet wasp family and the Millers are reserved and I can't imagine fighting with any of them. I also can't imagine vacationing with them or calling to chat, <laughs> maybe ask a small favor, not really for advice. But the Portocolises and the Millers are both pictures of very different families that can both be healthy. Conflict reveals what is important to us while making us also feel vulnerable to losing it. The act of conflict is inherently intimate and relational, which is why it should be in alignment with or a reflection of the relationships that we have built. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 is commonly used as a blueprint for conflict resolution in Christian organizations and churches. It basically says, that if, you, that if your sibling sins against you, you should go and point it out to them one-on-one -on -one in private. And if they don't listen, then you bring two or three other people as a witness. And if they still don't listen, then you bring it to the entire organization, to the entire church, to the group. Um, and if there's still no accountability, then you need to break relationship with them. It's a passage about accountability and boundary setting when accountability is not met. Yet, it has been used over and over again by people to eschew accountability. People in power have used it to apologize in private to small people and skip being held accountable by larger groups. There is absolutely a time and a place to take someone aside and gently call them in, but it's not the only way to responsibly or lovingly engage in conflict. In our passage today in Luke 13, we see Jesus engage in a different kind of conflict in practice. Not all conflict should be handled in private. Jesus doesn't wait so he can pull them aside and talk to them because the dignity and the humanity of the woman he has healed is what is under attack in that moment. He speaks up publicly in that moment. He sets a boundary that protects the person who is most vulnerable, the woman. Jesus declares her dear for all to hear, and he goes even further, naming her a daughter of Abraham. He names her chosen when typically we would only hear the phrase sons of Abraham. Our entire denomination is based on the idea that we can disagree about many things and still be siblings in faith. We are a denomination that does not require creeds or most sacraments. We try to keep it to the most essential 
it's possible for me to passionately disagree with you and also care for you and treat you in a respectful way because common ground is not a new position, it's a relationship. A North Star for how I engage conflict that I was given years ago was that people do not have an inherent need to be right, but they do have an inherent need to be heard. And there are lots of things that we can agree to disagree on. For example, if you like little women, it'll be hard for me, but I'll try. <laughs> but it's also important to keep in mind the wisdom of the author Robert Jones Jr. who says, we can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and the denial of my hum humanity and right to exist. That is where we hit the boundary of saying, we just disagree. That's the boundary that Jesus had for the woman he healed. Just as it is impossible to agree with everyone you encounter in your life, so conflict in any church is inevitable, but handled well, it can actually be constructive, helping communities to become healthier and stronger. Handled poorly, it can result in schism and breakdown. Keeping conflict constructive requires emotional intelligence and effective conflict management skills, which are two areas that a lot of us have received no training. <laughs> Our anger is a useful messenger. It tells us when boundaries have been crossed. However, our anger can be a much less useful messenger to others. Our love will always speak far more clearly. Doing the internal work to find out what love our anger is trying to protect is the work that we can attempt on our own or with trusted advisors. Something really tricky I found when I've taught improv is that in beginning classes, I'll ask students to show me like a level two fear emotion. And then I'll say, all right, now show me a level six. Show me what fear looks like at a 10 or a 12. And for all of my beginning classes, I've noticed that it is usually very difficult for men to show me what fear and sadness looks like it often looks like anger. As a, as a woman, I recognize the damage of being socialized to think experiencing anger is unacceptable. It erases the validity of your boundaries, but I also recognize the damage that has been done by socializing boys and men to think that the only acceptable big emotion that you're allowed to feel is anger. It forces you to shove every emotion you feel into the box of anger. Committing to healthy conflict in a community means that we are co-creating a space that allows us to access the full range of our emotional messengers that live in us. It means that we are committed to self-regulating those emotions so that we do not push them onto others and that we trust each other to that process without rushing in to rescue people from being in touch with those wise internal messengers within them. 
The conversation Joe's mother had with her after the ice incident was far more helpful than the conversation after the burnt manuscript because her mother admits to feeling angry every day, every single day of her life, and that not letting it control her is a process that she has committed to. Helpful conflict is discourse that holds humility, vulnerability, honesty, and transparency. My faith and relationship with God and all of you does not mandate that disagreement and conflict not exist, but it does compel me to be a student of learning how to engage conflict in the healthiest manner. And the tough thing is, no matter how well you do it, it probably won't feel good. In fact, it often means that you are giving up the quick feel-good rush of revenge or that perfect retort or uncontrolled venting. Good conflict doesn't feel fun and it can be tedious and it can bring up fear and disconnect, fear of disconnection and grief, but it is good and holy work that changes us. I cannot promise you that we will never have a disagreement or conflict. In fact, as a community that holds deep connection, I can almost certainly promise you that we will. But here's what I also promise you, that when we are in conflict, I will do my best to always remember that my greatest hope is wholeness for us all. I promise to believe it is important that you are heard. I promise to try to hold both honesty and kindness as my conversation goals. I promise to strive to examine the stories I am telling myself about your actions and to ask for clarity and confirmation and correction. I promise to be curious about how my actions are impacting you. I promise to try my darndest to identify when I am flooded and overwhelmed and I need to ask for a pause in the conversation. I promise to respect your need for a pause when you become flooded and overwhelmed. I promise to try to view us as on the same team attacking the problem and not on opposite teams attacking each other. I promise to be as clear as I can about where my boundaries are and to hold them with integrity. I promise to try to respect your boundaries and disengage if I am not able to. When you need to call me in or call me out, I will work my hardest to not let my ego close me off to hearing critique. I promise to make room for empathy for how hard it must feel for you to be in conflict with me too. I promise to not put my preferences ahead of those most vulnerable to impact. I promise to remember that this relationship is a group project and I'm not the one lone person responsible for resolving all of our feelings. I promise to try to remain curious and open to learning how to do this better because this is a part of living in harmony with you and it's worth it. 
and you are worth it. Amen.